technology is great until you don't prepare it beforehand. Then you have to find your sermon on your device and try to bring it up. Let me ask you a question while I'm doing this, just something to think about. Given the choice, what would you choose? Would you choose to have Jesus physically standing beside you, to have the Holy Spirit living within you? Just think about that. Now, we often wish, at least, at least I do, that Jesus was still here, physically with us. We envy the disciples, the things they got to see, for being able to, to walk with Him, to see Him, and to, to talk with Him physically. But what if, what if, if the Holy Spirit in us was better than Jesus beside us? That sounds like a strange statement, doesn't it? But what if that were the case? Let's see what Scripture has to say. Turn to John chapter 16, verse 7. It's our primary verse, page 824. If you have a pew Bible, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. <coughs> John 16 and 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The title of the message this morning is The Advantage of the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our devotion. You are far more worthy than we understand and than we can put into words for ourselves. Lord, you have done so much for us in sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. You have done so much for us, God, in, in loving us in such an amazing way. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for this time that we have. Lord, today as we look at your word, let our hearts and our minds be open to you. Lord, it is difficult to understand what Jesus says in this verse. But God, that is what he has said, and therefore it is true. And as we seek to explore the meaning and the application for this, give us receptive hearts and ears that would hear. Help us, Father, to, to come today to your word with the attitude of a learner, willing to be taught by you so that we can grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let the things that we look at today stir a desire within us that we would want. We would want more of what you have for us. We would want more of what your word has promised us. We would want more of what Jesus has, has purchased on our behalf. Father, fill me today with your Holy Spirit and let him give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. As I preach, let your spirit and your word work together to bring conviction where it is needed, to bring encouragement where it is needed, to bring strength where it is needed, to just do whatever needs to be done. That as we leave this place today, 
we could go out and be lights that would shine very brightly for Jesus Christ, that people could see how we live and who we are as people. And they would recognize that truly we had been with Jesus. We love you, Lord. Let your will be done in all of our lives. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Jesus says that it is to, to our advantage for him to go away. That's sort of mind boggling. I mean, it's hard to believe that it is there's an advantage to Jesus not physically being here with us. And yet that is what Jesus is saying. And Jesus explains that the advantage for us of him going away is that the, the helper will come. Right? If he goes away, he will send the Holy Spirit to us. Now we know, and in fact we'll look in a little bit at John 14, where Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come and he would live within us. And so the main truth that I want us to understand today is this. That the Holy Spirit in me is better than Jesus beside me. The Holy Spirit in me is better than Jesus beside me. Now the question is, how can that possibly be? Well, it is to our advantage for the Holy Spirit to come because He does indeed live within us and He is always with us. Think about it in this way. When Jesus was on the earth... His ministry and his, all that he did, it was limited to one place at a time. He could minister physically in one place at one time, but only there. But now that the Holy Spirit has come, the Holy Spirit lives within each and every believer. And so that same ministry of Jesus, it is available in us and through us and for us, but it's available to, to all believers everywhere. But no matter where we are in the world, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is within us and he is able to minister in us and through us and for us in ways that, that Jesus couldn't do for every person if he was physically on the earth. But what does the Holy Spirit do inside of us that makes him better than Jesus beside us? Well, Jesus said that he would come and he would be the helper. Now, one of my commentaries explained the, the Greek word for helper, and it said that it, that it is one that is called to the side of another. The purpose is to help in any way possible. There is the picture of a friend called to help a person who is troubled or distressed or confused. There is the picture of a commander called to, to help a discouraged and a dispirited army. There is the picture of a lawyer, an advocate, called in to help a defendant who needs his case pleaded. The commentary went on and said there is no one word that adequately translates the Greek word. But the word that comes closest is simply the word helper. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us and he comes to help us in any number of ways. And in what ways the Holy Spirit helps us, it reveals why the Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus beside us. There's three ways that I want to talk about today that the Holy Spirit helps us. First is that the Holy Spirit teaches me. But the Holy Spirit teaches me. Look at John 16 and 12. Jesus said, I still have many things to, to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but he will. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit for the believer, the disciples at this time, a part of what he was going to do was he was going to move upon them to write scripture. He was going to reveal to them things that they did not yet know so that they could then write down the words that we have in our New Testament. And a part of the the ministry of the Holy Spirit at this time for them, he was to teach them to declare to them the things of God so that they could then declare them to others. Now, we believe that the canon of Scripture is closed. So the Holy Spirit is not revealing to anyone today anything that can be added to Scripture. The Holy Spirit is not revealing to anyone today anything that takes away from Scripture. But what does it mean then that the Holy Spirit, He he guides us into all truth? Well, the Holy Spirit is still our teacher today. Let me show you this from a different passage. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I do hope you brought your sword drill Bibles today. Because we are going all over the New Testament this morning. We do it like we do sword drill. And as a kid, when you get it, you stand up and say, here. Or no, we're not going to do that, though. Okay, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So here's what 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 says. Human beings, we don't know all the stuff God has planned. But we, we don't know everything that God can do in us and through us and for us. We, we, we don't understand and we don't know all the stuff that God wants to do in us and through us and for us. Right. And it, it, it never enters into our minds what all of this is. Now, what this means for us is that on our own, we really don't know who God is. Right. Just the human mind, it never makes a decision. This is what God is like. The human mind never makes a decision that says, this is what God wants to do in me and through me and for me. The human mind never makes a decision that says, this is what God can do in me, through me and for me. Right. And the pitch. Well, let me say, let me go back. Human mind makes a lot of that stuff up, actually. But with this verse, what he's saying is we're always wrong. See, on our own, when we come up with an idea of what God is like, that idea is always faulty. Because we can't comprehend God in our natural selves. When we come up with an idea of what God wants to do in us, through us, and for us, on our own, it's always wrong because God's plans are not our plans. When we come up on our own with what God will do and wants to do in us, through us, and for us, it's, it's always wrong. So how are we going to know? How are we ever going to know what God is like? How are we ever going to know the things that God wants to do in us, through us, and for us? Well, verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. Right? Verse 12 says the same thing. Now, we have received this, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have freely been given to us by God. Right? On our own, we don't know. In fact, he goes on and says in verse 10 that we can't. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Think about this like this. 
No one ever really knows what you're thinking, do they? Now, my wife says that she can read what I'm thinking and she can read my mind, but she can't. And I don't need you to tell her that she can. I'll tell her she can if I want her to know that I said that. But no one ever really knows what we think. We can fake it. We can smile if we're mad. We can pretend to be upset if we really don't care. And no one ever knows what's going on in here unless we declare it to them. In a similar way, no one knows what God is like. No one knows what God can or will do in us, through us, and for us. The only way for any of us to know any of that stuff about God is for God to declare it. And God has declared it through His Holy Spirit. So through the Spirit, we are able to understand who God is and what God is like. Through the Holy Spirit teaching us, we are able to understand what God wants to do in our lives. We are able to understand what God will do and can do. In our lives. But without the Holy Spirit teaching us, all we're going to do is we're going to make up our own ideas. We're going to come to our own conclusions. And those conclusions are always going to be wrong. Because the natural man, apart from the Spirit of God, never, ever comes to the right conclusions about what God is like. The natural man without the Spirit of God never comes to the right conclusion about what God wants to do. Or what God will do in us and through us and for us. The Holy Spirit, without Him, we are forever wandering around in darkness. Without the Holy Spirit, we are forever wandering around guessing and making up our own ideas. Like in Romans 1, it talks about rejecting the knowledge of God and and making up in our own mind ideas about what God is like. And that's what happens apart from the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit, he he has revealed a lot of this through the Word. But what about as we begin to study God's Word? What does the Holy Spirit do there? Verse 13, he says, But we, the things that we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So you have, Spirit has revealed a lot of things through Scripture. Now you have a, a natural person apart from the Spirit that picks up the Bible. And, the, and, and they can read it and they can come to an, an understanding of what the Bible says. But they can come and they can say, well, I see the Bible says Jesus was born of a virgin and, and all of those things. But notice that 1 Corinthians, Paul says that they are foolishness to him. But apart from the Spirit, things of Scripture are foolishness to people. If you think about how much of Scripture is pretty amazing. I mean, the Bible tells us things like, in the beginning it was nothing. And then God just spoke and stuff happened. The Bible tells us stories of serpents talking. The Bible tells us stories of of donkeys talking. The Bible tells us stories of seas parting and people walking across and then the seas closing and killing the enemies of the people who walked across. The Bible tells us that God became a man. 
And God, as a man, He did what we couldn't do. He lived a, a sinless life. And He died in our place. And His death, it paid the penalty that, that our sins deserved. But He didn't just die, he, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and now He hears us when we talk. He makes intercession for us and He can save us and take away our sins and takes us to a place with golden streets and pearl gates. How fantastic is all of that stuff? Without the Holy Spirit, that's just like no more real than the stuff Tolkien wrote. You might as well be talking about hobbits and dragons. The natural man, apart without the Spirit, they see, they understand what all of that says, but they see no value in it. There is no value in believing a book that talks about donkeys talking. There is no value in believing a book that talks about the sun standing still. There is no value in basing your life on a book that was given by a God no one has ever seen. And it has values that no one in our culture currently has. And it tells us to do things that we don't want to do. The natural person, apart from the Spirit, looks at this and says, It is utter foolishness. It's crazy talk. But notice what it says in verse 15. But he who is spiritual, he judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For he, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, here's an interesting thing. The natural man doesn't understand or grasp the, the, the necessity of things of Scripture because they are spiritually discerned, it says in verse 14. But the spiritual person, the person with the Spirit, he rightly, he is spiritual, he judges all things. Now, the word judges and the word discern, that's the same word in the Greek. right? And the picture is, the natural man, he reads this and he can't discern any value in it. He sees nothing of importance or goodness or can't imagine somebody basing their life on it. The spiritual person can read those exact same stories. And rather than saying, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard, can say, that is, man, my God made the sun stand still. That is awesome. They can read that and say, wow, God became a man to die for me. That is amazing. They can read that and they can say, man, I never knew that holiness was important. I'm going to strive to be holy. Generosity, man, I'm going to be generous because Jesus was generous. See, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what makes all of this real to us. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, is what moves us from a place to where these may be cool stories, to where this is a life-changing book that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And that through it, I can be challenge to change a thought, an attitude, an action, or a priority. That through it, I will, I will adjust my life to do what is revealed and what is written in here. I'm not going to try to change this to fit how I want to live. Instead, I'm going to change me to fit with this. That's the Holy Spirit. 
That is the Holy Spirit as our teacher that does that. He is the one who works within us. And He opens it up and He makes it alive and He shows us the necessity of living our lives in the ways that are written here. Apart from the Spirit, no one will ever understand that. Apart from the Spirit, no one will ever grasp the significance of God's Word. Apart from the Spirit, at best, this will be a book with neat literary qualities and some neat history that people have followed it. But before this to become the living Word of the living God, it can be used to rebuke and to instruct to teach me. It takes the Holy Spirit to do this. The teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit in every believer in all times all across the world is one of the reasons the Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus beside us. Secondly, the, the Holy Spirit adopts me. When Jesus began to, to pour out to the disciples that he really was going to leave. They were afraid and they were discouraged and they were confused. And so he sought to comfort them. And he sought to comfort them by teaching them about the Holy Spirit. Turn to John 14, verse 16 through 18. Jesus talks about his leaving and he says in verse 16, and I will pray the father and he will give you a, another helper. Now, the word another is interesting because another here, it doesn't mean lesser. And really, it doesn't even necessarily mean different. It means another one that's basically the same. You know, if I leave, a, another pastor will come. Another here, it doesn't mean that there is a, a lesser something coming to us when Jesus leaves. It doesn't mean that there's a, a vastly different something coming when Jesus leaves. Instead, it is another that is just like the one that was here. Right? Jesus came and he was Emmanuel. He was God with us. Well, the Holy Spirit, he is God in us. Right? He came to not just be with us, but to be in us. He says in verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, I didn't have time to get into this this morning, but I want you to to look at that part in verse 17 for he you know him, you know him. Um, and again, we don't have time, but look at Second Corinthians 13. It talks about fellowship with the Spirit. We, we know the Holy Spirit. We have a relationship with Him, but, but that's not my point today. And knowing that the Holy Spirit is in us, and knowing that the Holy Spirit will never leave us, in verse 18, it prevents us from feeling like orphans. The Holy Spirit is God in us. He prevents us from feeling like Jesus has abandoned us keeps us from feeling as though we are not really a part or it's not really real. He he works to adopt us and to understand that God truly has adopted you and I as sons and daughters, that we are truly a part of the family of God, that 
that we are not making this up, that it's not about feelings or emotions, that there is truly something going on that is of God that has changed within me. Let me show you this in a different place. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8 is possibly the the single greatest chapter in the entire Bible. You would do well to read it often. Think on it deeply. But he speaks a lot of the Spirit of God in these verses. Verse 12 and 13, he, he talks about the Spirit leading us and not being debtors to the flesh. And then in verse 14, there's a transition. For as many as are led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, the The Holy Spirit in verse 14 is that verse there is a transition from the power of the Spirit to enable us to victory to the adoption that the Spirit does to work in us, to confirm our salvation to us. But notice that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, when you look at that in light of what Jesus said, he said the world, the world can't receive the Spirit of God because it doesn't know him. So here's a a point. Two things. One, the Spirit is not a natural part of anyone's life. But the Spirit comes to us and comes in us as we believe in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit then is taken and placed within us. Another part of this is that no one is naturally a part of the family of God. We're adopted into the family. We are not physically, fleshly born into God's family. We are spiritually born. Into God's family. We only become a part of the family of God when we repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus Christ. Before that, we are outside the family. We are the enemies of God. But when we repent of our sin, God takes us and then he brings us in and he adopts us. And when this happens, I like verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, I've thought in the last several weeks about that idea. You didn't receive a spirit of bondage again to fear. Thought about what does it mean? And I think there's two ideas with it. One is those who are born again, those who are part of the family of God, have a spirit within them that frees them from being from a life that is dominated by fear. Right? It's kind of the idea. I'm a part of the family of God. My God, my father, my, my father is is God almighty. What do I have to fear? I think about it in terms of like when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was always afraid to go into the woods by myself. I had seen horror movies. I knew that there were serial killers and there were dudes in hockey masks and there were crazed animals and zombies and all that stuff. It lived in the woods around my granny's house. And I, on my own, man, I wouldn't go. And I certainly didn't get off the path because, I mean, when you get off the path, that's when you get lost. That's when you die. But with my dad, with my dad, I, I would go anywhere. I wasn't afraid of the zombies when my dad was with me, day or night. It could be two in the morning, and I was just as secure if my dad was with me as if it was it was two in the afternoon. Because heaven help the zombie or monster that comes at Jimmy Ross, right? I mean, I was just confident my dad could protect me and handle it. That's sort of the picture here. Our dad can handle it. Our father is almighty God. Therefore, we don't have to live in bondage to fear. 
We don't have to live fearful lives. We don't have to be piglet that are small and frightfully fearful. We can be confident in our lives because our God can handle everything. Our Father is greater than anything that this world may throw at us. The second idea is that we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is a very tender word in the Hebrew. It was, I don't know, the closest equivalent might be like Daddy. And it was one of the first words that a Hebrew child learned about their dad, their name. And it, 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 it carried with it tenderness and a relationship and respect and, and so many things. But because it carried with it such a, an intimacy, Jewish people, they never, they never referred to God as their Abba. God was the father of the nation as a whole. But as an individual, no Jew would ever say that God was their Abba. But Jesus did. As Jesus prayed in the garden, he prayed to Abba, Father. And the Apostle Paul picked up upon that and he began to use it over and over and over again as a way to reference our relationship with God. The spirit of adoption that frees us from fear, it frees us from fear of going into our father's presence. As we go to talk to God, we are not slaves. Of a giant cosmic dictator. Who may at any point determine he no longer likes us. And cast us out into outer darkness. We are children of God. And we are able to say to him, Abba, Father, we are able to have an an intimate and a close relationship with him. So much so that we we don't fear to go into his presence. Now, here's what I think about this. This is my conviction. I think this frees us from fear of going to our father's presence no matter what. Right. Because here's what I know. If we're basically living pure lives and doing what we're supposed to, we don't really fear going into God's presence, do we? Right. We've done what we're supposed to do. We're living as God wants us to live. We, we go right into his presence. We enjoy that time and that fellowship. But what if we've blown it? What if we've done things that we shouldn't have done? Are we afraid to go into his presence then? Very often the answer is yes. We feel unworthy and we feel unwelcome. And I believe the spirit of adoption frees us from that. So even in times of where we have blown it and we have lived in rebellion and we come to God, we come to our Abba Father who loves us, who has said there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Think about it this way. I'm going off a lot of with me. When I have gone through times of rebellion and I've blown it and I feel unworthy to go into God's presence, I don't. I don't pray. and I don't really read my Bible. And it's not because I don't think it's important. It's because I feel how how unworthy am I to talk to God and ask him to do anything for me? How unworthy am I to, to read the Bible and expect God to speak and to strengthen and encourage me? But let me ask you this. Who wants you not to pray? I mean, in what way do you think God would say, no, I don't want you to pray to me? What verse do you find where God says, I don't want you to pray or read the word or come to me in those ways? We don't find it. The world, the flesh and the devil. Now, they don't want us to pray and they don't want us to study and they don't want us to to come to God in this way. I believe the Holy Spirit as the spirit of adoption 
even in those times of rebellion, he he urges us. Go, your father welcomes you. Your father invites you to cast all your cares upon him, not just the, the troubles, but the stuff you've brought upon yourself. Go cast that on your father, too. The spirit of adoption. Makes us know that we are always welcome in our father's presence. He makes us know that we are always invited and we can always come and we are always we find an audience with our father. And he goes on and he says, the spirit himself, he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the most common fears that we have is that we're not really saved. Um. I think it's a pretty common thing because it's a faith, right? I mean, when we pray and we accept Jesus, there's no nothing that falls down from heaven saying we're saved. There's not a big S that appears on our chest. We we just have to kind of take it by faith. How can we ever really know for sure? I mean, how do we how do we know that we know? Well, the, the Holy Spirit, he does something in this. He, he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Right? This is a part of what he does as the spirit of adoption is he he makes us certain of our salvation. He makes us sure that we have been born again. He makes us sure that we are adopted children of the most high God. Now, if you are or you have ever if you have ever lived in doubts about your salvation, you know, that is a miserable life to live. It is a life dominated by fear. It is a life dominated by trying to be good enough. It is a life dominated by by wondering. Man, what if I die tonight? Will I go to heaven or will I go to hell? That is not the way we're meant to live. According to the Bible, we have a spirit of adoption that frees us from fear, the bondage of fear. We have a spirit of adoption that bears witness with our spirit that says, no, you are saved. You have been adopted. You are a child of most high God. If you live in doubts about your salvation and you live in that bondage and in that fear, understand that is not God's plan. That is not God's will. And that is nothing you have to accept. You do not have to live below what Scripture says is true. You seek Him. You call out. You ask. You pray. You study. And I promise you, the spirit of adoption Himself will bear witness with your spirit. And you will get up and you will know you are a child of God. We can, everyone, live in absolute confidence that we're born again. Not... Not arrogance, not presumption, but faith, confident in the word of God, confident in the spirit of God that works within us. And that is what we are all meant to have. If we don't have that certainty, we ought to be concerned and we ought to seek it. So this ministry of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of adoption is one of the reasons the Holy Spirit Within us is better than Jesus beside us. And then finally, the Holy Spirit strengthens me. Has anyone noticed that you, uh, that you face temptations in life? 
If you notice that no matter how much you love Jesus, the world's still there. Sin is still there. It's still, in some ways, it looks good. We're tempted. We're tempted to sin. We're tempted to live selfish lives. We're tempted to justify our actions. We're tempted. And then on top of that, we face spiritual battles. We face the the world, the flesh, and the devil that, that seek to do all that they can to draw us away from Jesus and destroy our relationship and our lives in any ways that they can. Now, if we are always going to face those, and we are, then we have to find a way to be successful because I think we're supposed to be. How do we do that? Well, the Bible talks about being strong in the Lord and the power of His might. The reason that's important is because spiritual battles require spiritual strength. It doesn't matter if you can bench press 500 pounds. You don't have the strength, the strength, the physical strength necessary to fight and win spiritual battles. It doesn't matter how much self-control you have. You don't have enough self-control to consistently resist temptations and do what is right. We always will need spiritual strength to fight all of our spiritual battles. And that kind of spiritual strength, it only comes from God. He is the only one who has the strength we need. But he also makes it available to us through the Holy Spirit. Turn to Ephesians 1. Verse 15. I'm going to read verse 15 through through 19, but really we're going to focus on verse 19. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Right. So he's praying for them. And here's what he prays. One, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you. The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Why? So that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. And here's what he wants them to know. The hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, we don't have time to get into all of that. Study this out. Notice how many times he talks about power and work and things, all of this being involved in our lives. Paul's desires that they would understand the exceeding greatness of God's power that was toward believers. And that was according to his working and his power. This means that the picture of exceeding greatness of his power is an overabundance. Not, Not just a little bit of God's power. But, but all of it. And the picture really is that of more power than we could ever imagine. More power than we would ever need for anything we'll ever deal with in our lives. And he says that this power is given to believers. This power toward you or us who believe. And here's what's neat. Paul isn't praying for them to have more power. That's not the prayer. The prayer is for them to understand the power that was already at work in them. The power that God had already given them and was already at work in their lives. 
You know, so often we pray for power to do what's right and power to know this and for the, all of that, but we rarely need more power. What we need is to understand the power that has already been given to us in Jesus Christ. The power that strengthens us, the power that enables us to do all the stuff that God wants us to do. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have everything we need to live a godly life. That's what 2 Peter 1 says. The power of God, the exceeding greatness of His power, it's for us who believe. And how does that power go from God into us? Well, turn real quick to Ephesians 3 and verse 14. Another prayer for this reason, I I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the inner or through his spirit in the inner man. And then verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. The Holy Spirit gives us the inner strength we need to do all of the stuff. That God wants us to do, whether it would be live a holy life, use our spiritual gifts, take up our cross and follow him. Whatever it is that God wants us to do, the Holy Spirit within us strengthens us and enables us to do it. Now, verse 20 is the verse I want us to hone in on right now, because we often talk about God's exceedingly abundant power, that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. So the biggest thing we can imagine God doing is nothing to God. But notice what he says about that power at the end of the verse. According to the power that what? That works in us. The exceeding greatness of God's power that can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. That power is already at work in every one of us as a believer. The Holy Spirit is here. He is God. He has all the power of God and He can enable us to do anything and everything God wants done. He strengthens us to do everything that needs to be done. The overall picture in these verses is the exceeding greatness of God's power is not given to us, but it's already within us as believers. And it enables us To overcome temptation. It enables us to overcome spiritual battles. It enables us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It enables us to do all things without griping and complaining. It enables us to be generous as Jesus was generous. It enables us to care about other people. It enables us to do every single thing that God wants us to do. To drive this point home, the greatness of God's power, Paul says in Ephesians 1 and 20, that this power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Jeremy Camp has a song about that. And it's not just a cool song. It's very biblical. It's right. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in every believer. Do you believe that? Do you believe 
the exceeding greatness of God's power is at work in you and believer as a believer. Do you believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within you in the person of the Holy Spirit? You should. We we should. By and large, we don't need more power. We don't need more strength. We just need to believe what the Bible already says. We need to understand what has already been given to us. And then we should live as though that were true, expecting that God will show Himself mighty on our behalf. Now, part of what all of this means is, as a Christian, I can never say I couldn't help it. No matter what. As a Christian, I I don't ever get to be a victim of how I acted. Well, if Scott had been nicer, I wouldn't have had a cussing fit. No. Doesn't matter what Scott did. I have all the power within me not to. Well, if I if I just had more money, I could be more generous. No, I already have everything within me to be generous as I need to be. At no point in the life of a believer do we get to blame anyone but ourselves for anything we do that's not God's will. Every failure, every defeat, every sin, it is always my fault. And it's always your fault. Because the Holy Spirit has strengthened us for victory and to overcome. And the power that rose Jesus from the dead gives life to our bodies. And can compel us and help us to do the right thing in every single situation of life. It's never a matter of can I, but will I? Will I surrender to the Spirit? Will I rely on His strength? Will I depend on the power that God has placed within me in the person, the Holy Spirit? And that's a reason the Spirit in us is better than Jesus beside us. Dale Moody was once, at, was once invited to preach a revival in England. And some of the other pastors protested. They said, why do we need this Mr. Moody? He is uneducated. He is inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? One of the other pastors responded, no. But the Holy Spirit does have a monopoly on him. Does the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on your life? I mean, can you say for certain the Holy Spirit is doing these things in your life? If he's not. Ask yourself why. Why? Because all of this stuff is part of what He does in us and through us and for us. And the Holy Spirit isn't an extra to the Christian life. You know, it's not like we believe in Jesus and then later we decide we want to add a little Holy Spirit to our lives. No, He, he comes right then. He's a part of the package that we, we get. The Holy Spirit doesn't come later. Right? He's not something that once we live for a while, then we begin to get the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Paul said in Romans that if we don't have the spirit of Christ, then we're not really of Christ. 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, today, the Holy Spirit is within you and he should be doing all of these things and more in your life regularly. And if he's not. You need to ask why. And this is true no matter how old you are. Listen. There's no such thing as the Holy Spirit Jr. Kids, teenagers, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, Holy Spirit should be doing all this stuff in your life as well. He doesn't start working when you hit 20, 21 years old. He starts working the moment you repent of your sins and you believe Jesus Christ. If you don't see the Holy Spirit's work in your life, that's a problem. I mentioned two weeks ago, and I know everybody remembers it because I mentioned it two weeks ago, but I'll do it again in case you don't. In the book of Acts, when Paul went to a new place, or the apostles went to a new place and they found believers, he didn't ask them, did you pray a prayer to receive Jesus into your heart? He didn't say, hey, have you been baptized in the tank behind the altar? You know what he said? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And that determined whether or not he accepted them as believers or not. Let me ask you, have you received the Holy Spirit? And if so, what evidence is there in your life that He's at work? There should be some. And if there's not, you ought to be bothered. And use this time to seek the Lord and find out why. Let's all stand.